Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is my friend and your friend, too, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Good, how are you? I'm doing great, because today we are also joined by not one, but two of the greatest minds in the, the genre of punk rock, and also two people named Dave, David Up and Dave Martin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, same here. Thanks. Well, I got to also say off the top, to you as well, all of you here, um, I'm sorry that episode 200 is not here yet. I'm working on it. It's kind of like the Chinese democracy of, <laughs> of Turn Out a Punk, but it will be good in the end. I promise you. And it is coming next week. I just, there's a couple more people I wanted to add to it. It might be, it might need to be a two parter. It might be like Tony Pop's episode way back when, which was, was so long that I had to break it into two parts. This might be the <clears> same thing. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited for it. But how are you guys doing? How's everyone's weekends, uh, President's Day, I guess, in America, and and Family Day here in Ontario? Is, is that, that a real thing? thing? Family Day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, Chris? It is, unfortunately. Well, it's a holiday that's nice, but the name is a little rough. You're like the Scrooge Fam- of, of Family Day. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like they really phoned that one in. Like, what are you going to be against Family Day? Like, well, Chris doesn't yeah. seem all in favor of it. Yeah, Christian. I just la- it's a it's a it's a recent uh, phenomenon, and it's uh, yeah, we like to we like to do things in Canada a certain way, and uh, that's one of them. Yeah, uh, I had the day off work for President's Day, which uh, I you know it was fine. It was nice having a random like Monday off. Yeah, I, I didn't have the day off, um, but whatever. <laughs> Media, there's no days off, really. Yeah, I mean, no, you should, yeah, you're working right now. Yeah, I'm working right now. We're all working right now. We're all we're all working for. Uh, well, I guess not no money, but you know, we're working. <laughs> yeah, we're working, and I am uh, honored to be here with all of you on the. I guess this is the uh, kind of like footnotes wrap up and slash launch of the new era of footnotes as well, because this show is not about a specific episode. Uh, this show is about just every episode and just everything in general about punk rock music and, and hardcore music and, and any type of music we want to throw in there. And probably some wrestling, too, because we all know these guys love fucking wrestling. Uh, but this is going to be kind of like the new model for a once once monthly uh, footnotes show that we will be doing. And as I was telling the Daves, they are always welcome to come join Chris and I. And then uh, footnotes itself will be uh, something will be happening with that too. But we'll get into that in episode two hundred. But anyway, welcome everyone to the first episode of a new era of footnotes. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, well, I, I will say that because of your earlier comment, it got me looking at the Chinese democracy uh, entry in the resource, and <laughs> I wish that I didn't. See, they come out on vinyl, <laughs> Chinese democracy. 
Um, like legitimately? I don't, there's a lot of, there is uh, 42 versions of this. Yeah, it came out on double vinyl on Black Frog Records and Geffen. Um, upon seeing the cover, I don't think I've ever seen this record before. I can't it doesn't look that. even remotely familiar. You've never seen this? I definitely have seen this at like, you know, when you go to a, like a mall music store, this was definitely front racked at at one point when it came out, right? Like, when did it come out? 2000 and something? Eight. 2008. Whoa. It's like a black and white photo of, of a bicycle with a basket. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm like? I'm like a I'm like a fucking magician of bringing it all back to wrestling because like I do not bring up Chinese democracy in the hopes of bringing it back to pro wrestling, but I will do it right now. Do you know <laughs> I know the guy that leaked that record, like the original person that leaked it and had that record leaked and it was like this huge thing where he was threatened by Guns N' Roses, like by name and all this kind of thing. Um, and it was MVP. No, it was not. <laughs> but it's a guy that works with MVP at a wrestling company. And his name is MSL. That's his that's his legit name. MSL. He has that's a, like on his driver's license and stuff like that. Yeah. Mr. Saint Laurent is on his driver's license at this point, I believe. And he's uh but MSL is what he goes by, and he actually has the world's shortest URL, <laughs> MS.L. You know, I, I, you, there's always a lot of people talking about who's got the shortest URL. So now we've got that figured out. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's not. Maybe now I'm saying that uh, now it's not coming up. Maybe it's m.sl. Now let me see if that comes up. <laughs> yes, it does. M.sl. That's is... his. That's his thing. That's his, <laughs> his URL. But he's talked about this before. I'm not. I'm not exposing him to anything that he's not exposed himself to publicly before. So. Starting off hot with this episode. Starting off hot. Why was he privy to this record prior to anybody else, though? That's the question I have. He's like a he was like a super big Guns N' Roses fan, isn't like involved in like some like early internet deep Guns N' Roses hangout, dark web, Silk Road. Yeah. (laughs) 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 The Guns N' Roses underworld. The the why they invented the dark web. I mean, I have you ever heard it? Uh, no, that you know what I don't I actually have ever heard it. I've heard it. It's um, well, for a record that took whatever I think it took like fifteen years. I think mm-hmm. fifteen years, something like that. I mean, it, it's. It's weird because, like, my my knee jerk reaction is it's a bad record, and it is a bad record when you weigh it up against the spaghetti incident. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, well, spaghetti incident, I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just not, nothing was going to live up to the hype anyway for the duration it took. Like, if I remember correctly, like, he had had like a backing, like, he had a lot of studio people that were like former Nine Inch Nails band members and all this nonsense. And it just, it just sounds. It's just, it's not good. It's very, very, like, it sounds phoned in. It could have been worse, (laughs) though, right? That took 15 years. It's like, what? At one point, they had Shaq rapping on it. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's just, it sounds like, you know, exactly like the latter era stuff you would have heard on the earlier records, but like a full album of it. And uh, it's just, I mean, again, I've only heard it probably once or twice, but nothing jumped out at me on it. 
I'll, I'll throw that on the uh, I'll pencil that into uh, things to check out. Yeah. yeah. What if 2019 is really the year I get into the Chinese democracy? <laughs> yeah, like it's not like really bad. It's not like Metallica's Load or something, but it's it's just not anything. It's very. Eh. That reload is reload so, the one with the Marianne so wait, Faithful song because that's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I beg to differ, but I don't know. <laughs> now we're back to prong, which is good. Let's run with the prong thing. <laughs> with yeah, prong? I mean, prong's pretty good, though. Prong's a band I don't think about when I would ever, but when I listen to them, I th- it's good. I and haven't well, heard anything after the after beg to differ, but I don't hate that record. No, um, record's cool. Plus yeah. that art too. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a, you know, this the show that I saw was fantastic, um, but it was pre, you know, metal. It was still, you know, borderline noise rock era prong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. were they damaged? Sorry, that's the, the pre prong band. Pre prong. Yeah, damage. You know the New York damage that had the live. Oh, really? Tommy record? Victor. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Live on the soundboard or whatever, the good used bin record. Yeah, totally, totally good used bin record, hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's pre-prong. It might be. Let me see if I can. Well, how, if only there was some way I could look this up. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. Let's see. Strike one. You ever find this when you're like on when you're on the resource and you're just clicking to see if someone Yep. Mike Kirkland was in prong and damage. Okay. Um Which damage are they? Oh, there they are. Yeah. They had a record on celluloid. Celluloid's like the coolest label. CBGBs and celluloid records. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Coolest is maybe the, not the right word. What? But, um, okay. They put out a John Lydon Africa Bambata record and a Jimi Hendrix record. And a damage record. It's the project's called Time Zone, but yes, the, the John Lydon Africa Bambata. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, I know the record. Yeah. It's, I mean, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there was, uh, I don't know if there was like, real vision it was more like yeah sounds good let's try it that's yeah yeah <laughs> and, and i don't think it, the, the when i say sounds good i don't necessarily mean the music sounds good yeah <laughs> i'm i'm not i'm i'm in the middle of this debate i uh i'm with damien a bit but i'm with you too dave on that but uh well you do, certainly get a lot of weird records that way um yeah but uh you know I just, I, I just guess I take issue with cool in the sense that, like, <laughs> yeah, I think it was kind of the opposite of cool in a lot of ways. But, like, uh, they were they were taking chances on a lot of stuff, right? Like, you know, like, I, I, even if they were, like, you know, why would they put out a Fela record? <laughs> or why would they put out a Lee Perry record? Uh, because they thought people would buy it. Um, you know, They put out a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Tons. This is not a label that I want to just like go through and just like, oh, let's see what we think of this. Like they put out way too much stuff. Throbbing gristle and stiff little fingers. Like Well wasn't wasn't uh what's his face? Uh is it Bill I wanna say Bill Laswell? Who's the man behind it? 
it was a French label and distributor in Paris. It was Jean Caracas, okay. thought, Gilbert Castro, uh, Jean-Francois Bizot. Okay, I don't there, I thought there was a trying to read up on it. Yeah. Bill Laswell. The label began experimental music cross cultural fusion sound shortly after so it began a long fruitful relationship with Bill Laswell. There we go. Uh. Who produced a lot of its recordings. So I guess he didn't begin it, but that's the kind of the era and then the subharmonic label and all that. So there's a lot of stuff I like, like that's off those weird bits. But I'm with Dave Martin too. Like it's definitely you're not getting all the hitters. To me, it's it's more like uh, if if you made SST an Afrobeat label or something, how it would sound. <laughs> but dude, then, which then, it very well may have gone that route. Yeah, and yeah. like, but they put out like significant records in other genres, right? Like, it's not like one mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they're like putting out, you know, like they put out like cool stuff too. Residence records, like oh, I I, I, I nailed it cool. with the SST. I nailed it. That's mm-hmm. that's it. But it's yeah, not, I don't know, like, SST didn't put out, like, have you ever heard this band Indoor Life, for example? No. The Celluloid record, 1980, it was a reissue of a record that I think was from a San Francisco band, if I'm not mistaken. But, my God, that record's amazing. An art punk band from San Francisco. Uh, that 12-inch, I love that 12-inch so much. Like, there's just so much good stuff on this label. And, like, sure, SST has some, like, real classic stuff. But then, like, after a certain point, you know... I guess you're right. Like SST was, SST is an amazing label. So yeah, let's say this is SST, but like with like much more diverse tastes. Yeah, I nailed it. I nailed it off yep, the top. You did, Lydia Lunch, <laughs> but way more diverse. Like like look like, like like wait, we're it's so many different genres. Like rap records, like you know, Alan Vega records. I, I agree. Like I said, I'm in the middle of this. I'm with both of you. <laughs> For and against. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I maybe shouldn't be taken that I'm super against them. I just uh, <laughs> took issue with Damien's category. Categorization of them as a cool label. I think I think I proved cool being relative. Okay, but... you proved it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay. But, what, but what I take away from this is that I didn't know that Damage had another record besides that live at CBGB's record that I've seen a million times. Yeah. The, they had an LP before that. Yeah. That's apparently expensive. Yeah. It's hard to it's get. Not like crazy expensive, but expensive for a Damage record. Yeah. And it's always been kind of pricey, too. Like, I remember it's always been like a, an expensive, hard to find record that was also recorded at CBGB's. Yeah, it's still recorded CBS, but like the cover doesn't even look familiar. Uh, it shows cool. it's cool looking. There's a sticker cover version too. Like there's a little circle sticker on them, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it said something like most copies have oh, damaged yeah, sticker on the cover. Um, and yeah, like it, it's it's a great record. I don't I don't have a copy, but I still want one. Now it's kind of like it's the it's the only release on Gnarl Records. Yeah, it was like it's self-released New York hardcore kind of. It's funny, funny how like they're not kind of brought up in the same breath as like a lot of the other bands from that time period. Yeah, not at all. Um, but who knows why? Because no, the other record I've seen, it, the other one, like honestly, just like came. It was oh, it's probably a generation right now. <laughs> it was always there. Thank you, Celluloid Records, for that. 
I mean, if, if you don't have the time to go to Generation, you could pick up one for $3 on Discogs. So. <laughs> and for, for listeners, since you guys are talking here, it's the 13th entry for damage on the resource, should you want to try and find this, to look it up yourselves. It's funny when you yeah. look at, when you're looking at bands on uh, on the resource and you get to like a band that has one record that's like three hundred dollars and then the next record's like four dollars, two dollars. <laughs> yeah, just like they put up that one single that everyone likes and then you know the sound change. That's called uh, that's called a yeah. footnote special right there. <laughs> uh, it, it's just that that's just the the, the kill by death. Like they're the, the other single that isn't the one that's on the comp, and you're like, oh, let me get the other Jimmy Lumia and the Psychotic Frogs record. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> I've definitely made that one. And the what's Skunky Tate? The other one where I'm like, uh, is, is, is there two Snooky Tate seven inches? Snooky Tate. That's it. There's like a twelve inch, and it's like it because it, I guess it was like a reggae group other than that punk single. And uh, I've got a couple of those records. Not the not the good one though. Yeah, for our purposes on I'm this sure. show, maybe maybe they are great in in you know their their respective genre, but um, for the purpose of this show, the single that I'm looking for, I do not have. Yeah, I'm sure that there's someone who's like really into like bad bad other stuff. There's like I have the first single, but I just need to complete it. I guess I got to buy this really really expensive one now to really fill out my collection. Yeah. <laughs> like the like the twenty seven dollar one, they're cool. You know, that's the one they like more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they 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 really like the forty seven song like Kiss My Machine. Kind of skip the other track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's the what's the uh. The, the the weird the other song and I hate tourists uh, that's also like uh, oh yeah there what not, is the flip on that don't forget me Tommy yeah I love that song though the organ on that I don't remember it being very good I I I had I hate tourists for a bit but I think I I got I sold it because in reality I just if we're gonna just talk freeze I I think that they're comp tracks and I I think the uh, guilty face record like smoke i hate tourists i hate tourists is not like you know it's like a cool kill by death song but like yeah like they're a band that went on for so long they actually got kind of raging or they didn't oh for sure kinda, they got raging i think because of their like like jokiness which i don't have a problem with that like because they got so like silly on their lp like no one's gonna be like think like violent arrest is like as cool the track is it actually because they're they're silly at the same time i'm like all, all land of the lost is like has a bunch of pretty silly songs on there yeah and because they went on and like so like i think people associate them with like you know the the cd era of the band as opposed yeah. to you know the comp track era i guess mm-hmm. I, I love them actually the whole way through though i got that broken or token bones cd that came mm-hmm. out way back when and I, I ride for that whole CD the whole way through the catalog. Maybe not all yeah, the lyrics. I mean, should go back and check the lyrics before I say that. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe don't check that out. But yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing with Boston is like there's some of those things that like you're like oh like 
like, well, I don't want to bring up DYS again, but like some of those bands, like <laughs> you just have like, they have like their hits and then they have their other thing. And you still like, are like, no, no, they're cool. Despite what you think about, like, you know, the fourth album, but then there's other bands like, like the with bands, like the freeze and gangrene because they didn't break up. It just like continued to like, really like water down what was such so killer about them. Yeah, but, like you're right. Like it, yeah. it's it's kind of like teenage heading Canada for a lot of people for a long time. Like now, I think people are appreciating Forgotten Rebels. Forgotten Rebels too. You're right. Like these bands that you know, like and it, and it's it's hard too because like you know, like you don't you can't make a band break up. You don't want a band to break up. But like the the idea that there's like a perfect encapsulized moment in time frozen there and the band didn't do anything but that and that was it like around that record that they did they existed there's something so romantic about that that just i don't know it it just uh you know even i as someone who's tried to make a career in music at this point i i I still romanticize the idea of like a band that's one and done yeah no i i I agree on on both sides like you you in the as the as a fan, you're totally cool with it, but as the person in it, like I mean, look at me, records tear it up, put out. You know, you're not you. You can't just like you want to keep going because you don't think yeah. you're only putting out the, those like ten minutes of cool music. Yeah, like you want to be that like you know like, and I think this is like a rec- a total record collector thing, but you want to be a kill by death band. Mm-hmm. on some level but then you like realize like oh shit well that means you have to be like completely obscure and totally like off the map until some dude comes from sweden and discovers you and puts you on a comp yeah you know? i mean but then yeah but the thing is we've also all encountered those bands like clearly that's what they were going for and it, like you like this i don't think that like all those like the gizmos probably didn't want to be like obscure, you know, they probably wish that like they were more popular. Yeah. Freestone probably was really hoping they would crush it. Yeah. Is it like the desperate bicycles? The only band ever that just like, nah, we want to stay obscure as a political statement. Like they were, they were still refused to have the records reissued. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I bet you this other, like, the thing is with some of that other shit is like people that probably also like get like religious or become like lawyers, like yeah. also just like need to keep their professional side. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I assume that's probably a lot of people too. Yeah, you're right. Like there's definitely that side of it where it's like, Oh my God, there's no fucking way I'm allowing you to reissue that record. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> You know. Then again, the uh, the people behind the track headliner, I think, were okay with getting their record reissued. And if <laughs> that were my in my back catalog, I might try to keep that one uh, off the internet, you know. But yeah, the other one that I kind of feel like uh, the other reason bands kind of like get like that is is you know you move on musically or you move on professionally, and you just don't want to go back. Like I remember asking you know a certain person that some of us know to reissue their old zine, and they're like, "There's no way." I want anyone reading that zine ever again. Like, I hope they're all gone <laughs> forever. And it's, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, people, I feel like that's a lot of people with old zines. Like, unless you're talking about like the, like real 
if it's the zine I think you're talking about, that zine was extremely well made. But uh, like, there's you know, I've def- even people that like talk did zines like you know ten years ago that are like still like on the into like punk and still into like regular stuff. I remember I found a, a friend's old zine and I had two of it, so I brought one when I was meeting up with them, and they got so bummed out about it. Like, yeah, the zine's fine. Yeah, you know, like. I wasn't I wasn't doing it to be a dick like no it's you know it's still cool yeah like I love all my all the zines that I have like I got so many zines from friends and stuff where they're like oh god why would you want to keep that it's like why (laughs) wouldn't I want to keep that it's awesome like it's just such a it's such a raw form of expression yeah I mean I I think if I never moved across country I'd have so much more or like I just got rid of so much like random stuff from moving a bunch of times. And it's like, I need to stop having like cases of like maximum rock and roll. I need to stop having like all the random. I think the big thin out was all the zines that were just like weird, like more like personal zines you end up getting. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point you're like, I'm never going to go back to this. Cause yeah. that was like the other thing you pick up besides flyers. And then at a certain point I'm like, this wasn't even cool when I got it. Yeah. Why do I still have this 10 years later? Yeah. Yeah. Unless you played in Crim Shrine, your personal zine might not be the most interesting thing to read. Yeah. Yeah. Those are fine. Those are fine. Yeah. That's like oh, the original. Like the one. random, like, oh, for sure. But uh, yeah, I got so many. Like, they, they would always be like with the flyers. And they were free because they were, they were priced yeah. appropriately. But. It's incredible to watch paper goods become so coveted in in punk rock and like in secondary markets of of punk rock. Well, I mean, you know, nothing will nothing will make you reckon with those things like moving, especially, you know, more than just moving across town. Um, Where do you put them? How do you store them? How do you keep them, you know, looking, you know, in good shape? It's it's work a lot of work um so you know i think it's less work than records though like you make it get a binder with those plastic insert sheets that's what i do (laughs) yeah do you do you have a flat file uh no i've got i've got like yeah i've got like i remember going to fat rich's house or rich rich's house from uh (laughs) from parts unknown and radio raheem and you know like a a general like punk archivist beyond reproach um and he had binders full of flyers and i remember he was like just showing me these crazy binders that he had with ridiculously sick flyers and i was like oh shit i gotta do that and that's what i started doing so i have like a toronto one i've got an international punk one i've got two american ones that are just like full of these plastic insert sheets with flyers in it yeah, yeah i've got a bunch of binders of flyers i i don't i uh, i have like there's a box in the basement somewhere with like, um, like just like, a, you know, they're all like in a manila folder or something. It's, it's kind of stupid, but I've just, and, and I just always felt like I never had the time or, or space to, to really start organizing it. That's what the binders I, cool. Cause you can just go there and sit through and flip through it. You know, and that's what I do sometimes. I just flip through these binders of like flyers of shows that I went to flyers of shows that I wish I was at. And, uh, yeah, like it's a way to appreciate it without having it. Cause I know what you're saying. Like, do you want to hang 
old flyers all over your walls and make it look like it's the fucking, you know, signpost of a building under construction. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool. To do I, that too, if, though. Dave, I, at, when I got, so I copied flyers that were copied from someone else, but it was a lot of the, that dude, Dave Koenig that did hardware's flyers. Um, so it was like a lot of like, like 85 to 89, like New York flyers. And I was organizing them for a while. Like I, at one point in my room, I just had like piles. Like these are all the like real biscuits flyers. These are the, the side by like, these are like Boston flyers. These are this, like just trying to. And then I'm like, this is crazy. Like, what am I doing? And then I, so like in my book, you'll hit sections where to be like, here's a whole bunch of life's blood flyers in a row. And then it'll just be like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Cause I can't figure out how to like, what thread's going to tie this pile to this. And if, if I have, I mean, all those bands, their scenes were so incestuous mm-hmm. that it's just like, oh, do I put all the Youth of Today flyers together? Do I put all the Grill Biscuits flyers together? Do I put all the Chromax flyers together? Like, uh, I mean, so many of these bands, like, I feel like Life's Blood's one of the ones that I like put them all in the same pile. And, you know, I don't know. And some of those yeah, things I, also, I, it's like, I would, I would have tried so, to go for just straight chronological. Uh, I know a person that's how all their flyers are is chronological. To me, that's the only way they should be. How do you organize because your records then? Dave, do you do chronological? No, the alphabet. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, do you have any division in yours at all? Like, is it all this like A, yeah, a to Z L genres? Yeah. yeah, all genres, the alphabet, comps at the end now. Yep. What, what do you do with your Dave splits? Oh, oh. Um, by the band that you under V or F. Uh, I what you don't have two copies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, That'd be such a balls move to to have a void and a faith, and you just so you can have one in each. Yeah. Well, that record was still affordable at one time that you could get away with doing that. You know, it's not like having a Tampax in a Hitler SS. Yeah. Who are not a Nazi band? I should discharge. say. For anyone who doesn't yeah. know the band. Yeah. Do you have, do you have it under filth or discharge? Um, yeah, exactly. but, uh, indigesty or red, um, but that, but the, but there's not like you could do, I definitely did that with certain records that I have. If you had like on two different colors, but void faith, you know, it's just, but yeah, <laughs> it's being filed after F that's all anyone needs to know. All wow. due respect. Um, <laughs> I like, I've actually just gone through my splits and I'm pulling all the, I used to have a split section and now I'm pulling them and putting them in. Cause I organize my records by country, which is the true way to organize your records. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> country no, by I, pressing I, or country by band? Uh, country by band. But do you see how that could get out of control, though? If you if you're getting confused by country by pressing, but yeah, if you no, have like a Rollins collection, then you just have like, oh, I've got seventy five copies of a Funhouse, um, and they're all they're all different. No, you'd have to do it by band, not by country. Like yeah. not that. Be I'm just crazy. being I'm just being absurd. <laughs> Toronto music legend and friend of the show, Grasshopper. Um, hopefully, future guest of the show. He at one point would buy any copy of Nevermind the Bollocks he found 
if it was below a certain price. And I think I forget what the price was, but he's got hundreds of copies of this record. And he's done an art show with all of them. Well, wasn't there someone did that with like the white album? Yeah, there was the white yeah. album. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's that's um, that is definitely uh, an art exhibit in in two thousand. You know, he did this 19. in the nineties, even I think he he's been like he's been a deep head for record stuff like that for a long time. But um, you know, you know, Grasshopper the band, right, Dave? Me. <laughs> Dave, no, Dave Martin. I, yeah. I, I, I don't think I've ever met him, um, but I know of him. Yes. You got to come to Grasshopper Records in Toronto. It's a, I know. I, I, I got to come back to Toronto. You got to come back to Toronto. You got to come back to Toronto. When you come back to Toronto, you can stay at my house and you can help me raise my kids because I need some help. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, I've done such a great job with my own. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me loose on somebody else's. Well, you know what? Get, come and get loose on them because I assure you, they're on a path, all right, with me. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, we're 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 jesting, everyone. Um, yes. But now I'm moving. Now I'm like I'm breaking up my split section and my comp section. But I'm going to have an international splits and comp section with my international bands, like Tragedy, for example. Like, where do you file Tragedy? Oh, <laughs> are you trying to say that they're Canadian? Uh, there is a key member that is Canadian. A member is Canadian, though, but they're, I, the Tragedy is based out of Portland, Oregon. Yeah, I think you have to go where with where the band is. Yeah, based, I know. I, really. I did. I got. I mean, are you are you going to put your LA gun section in England because the singer was British? I know. I did. <laughs> I I thankfully don't have any LA guns records, but I did recently actually <laughs> move the tragedy records into the American section and conceded that Yannick is not coming back. Yeah, I had to. Not unless he has like another like foot surgery or whatever. He came back for that last time. You got to come uh, back for the insurance money here. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth the trip. Um, I got a, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm looking around now. I got, I, do, I have a couple other records though. Like I've got a Rob Tyner uh, collab record that he did with Eddie and the Hot Rods that I don't really know where to file it. Cause it was like, he moved, he went to England just to cover uh, the punk scene and then recorded this record with them over there at the time. And you know, that's gotta be an international record. Yeah, I mean, but didn't like uh, didn't like Rollins Band record in England or something like like what? Didn't one of those records was like something that's, like that? That's an American yeah. band going to England to record a record. Well, yeah, but still, it's a Rob Tyner record, you know. Well, that's the thing, though. I would argue that it's more of an Eddie and the Hot Rods record, but like, yeah, like, do I? Where? <laughs> How's it build? What what does it say on the cover? It's like this. Have you ever you've seen this seven inch, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind. Of, you're right. It's Rob Tyner and any of the Hot Rods, but it's like not in like it's not the Henry Rollins and the Hard Ons kind of vibe, which actually would be an interesting record too. Where would I file that? <laughs> Probably with the Hard Ons. Yeah, I think it goes to the Hard Ons. I got a pretty complete Hard Ons collection too, and uh, I don't have that many solo era Rollins records. I would like weight on vinyl though. <laughs> are, are you saying you don't want lifetime uh i think i prefer weight wow um, i i think i think 
this this might be another self titled verse uh, brotherhood situation. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Listen, just because you guys can't handle the truth doesn't mean that I'm not going to give it out there. Are we? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to look at the track listing on wait for a second. I'm not even going to do that. I, that's. I mean, it's crazy talk, but nostalgia makes uh, those things possible. So um, go for it, dude. Uh, what you? When was Lifetime nominated for a Grammy? What? Or no? I, I mean, I American think Jeff Rotol beat them. <laughs> yeah, but like, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, uh, you're arguing oh, with I, oh, the I, greatest I, music body oh. in the world. Like the people, the arbiters of what is and isn't great music. The people at the Grammys. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, oh, you're totally right. Um, you know, and he was robbed. He was robbed. Um, yeah. There's some tracks on wait for sure. No. No, there's <laughs> that song volume four was cool. Um, I mean liars on there, you want that one. I feel like I disconnect was, was cool. Disconnect is I am with uh, disconnect I'll give a little love to. Yo, lifetime terrible. I haven't listened to it in a long time. And looking at the track listing, I, I I'll probably listen to it tomorrow. It's great. Um, I'm going to also go with another metric for deciding it. Uh, what is the most expensive copy of Lifetime currently? Probably like a, like thirty bucks. Well, weight on vinyl starts around fifty eight dollars. There you go. The Canadian, sorry, spoken. Canadian. I don't know. I mean, by capitalist it's metrics, just, it's, it, weight's better. But that's just weird '90s crap because like records were just scarce. I know that's yeah. like saying like is the best Motorhead record like Snake Bite Love because it's probably like the most expensive one on vinyl. No, the only reason I want weight is because nostalgia dictates that I want weight. Like I really don't, you know. That's why I want weight on vinyl. I'm not trying to say it's the better record. Obviously, Lifetime's a better record. This isn't. This isn't a Brotherhood self-titled or, <laughs> or Fire and Ice situation. Yeah. You know, this Plus, is different. It's just this because is because you already you already have come in and burn on vinyl. Yeah, yeah. You need weight. <laughs> uh, I love that record though. That record when that came out, I was like, this is definitely the angriest music that exists on the planet Earth. When I heard that as a kid, I was like, well, I don't know if there's anything more angry than this out there, because this is very, very mad. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good description of it. I, I bought this when it came out. It's not a good record. It remains <laughs> not a good record. But I will say, because I had End of Silence, and I like End of Silence a little more, although they're probably, I haven't heard it in 20 years, but... Um, Liar as a single in 94 was not, I mean, it's not a good song, but it's like the vibe of it is right on. Like, it's very, very, uh, you know, thumbing its nose in all the right ways. Yeah. So I like that about it. And Disconnect also is an equally, you know, lyrically, there's some things in those songs I like. But yeah, it's, it's. Uh, I think it's a pretty it's sick a, song, you know? Like, there's a. Re- just there's a. Re- I'll. You know, you can look it up yourself, but there's a really good. They he plays volume four on like one of the like Rollins band like TV shows, like when he used to have his like talk show. Yeah, yeah. 
And there's like, so like, just his own band plays one of the episodes and they play that song volume four. Yeah. And it's, it's super cool. It's like a good footage of, you know, Rollins, like trying to be like asking people about, you know, their international travel. And then, you know, then he like plays it. He wait, he, I think he was still shoeless, but he was like wearing like regular clothes otherwise. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a cool video. He's like, you know, like I, that's someone who I don't think I appreciated till they were gone as a front person. Like he's still here, obviously, but I mean, like I'm like, uh, wait, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> he's a, but I mean, someone who's who's not playing right now, right? Like, um, I I think you know, like not playing in a, in a regular band, but like he's like mm-hmm. that is an intense front person, and I know he was known for it at the time, but then it became something that people almost were like just. It became cliched, and but now looking back on it, watching footage of him, I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, you know, I was the same with Joe Biafra. I was watching a clip of Joe Biafra today perform uh, with Sepultura, and uh, yeah, did you see that uh, thing? Take his Godzilla, or he, is he playing Police Truck cover? No, he's doing Cambodia Holiday in Cambodia. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, they did, yeah, they covered that, and it's him in RDP too. That been Rat Tratos de Perros. Is that mm-hmm. is that was that it? I always. Fuck I mean, it up. it's yeah. I mean, I was called like Rattlesnake Parau, but I'm sure that's not how it's. Said. Yeah, I always fuck it up. But anyway, they, they, he's playing with that, and I was watching him, and he's like one of the best, like Chel Biafra, and it's like, oh shit, yeah, he's like one of the best front people to ever do punk and hardcore. And you just some of these people like Rollins as well. Like I just wound up taking for granted on how good they were or are. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen Henry Rollins uh, perform music. Really? I've only ever seen him do spoken word. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Neither. I'm neither. Wow. Uh, Dame, you must be at least music or both. I've seen him do music, but I'm trying to think where now. When well, they. Maybe Rollins' band, probably, no? Yeah. But I, I just. Um, when... I must have been, but I'm trying to try. Well, I don't think I saw Lusa, him back maybe? in the day. When he did that tour with X, the the day of the New Jersey show is during the weird window when I was in Violent Minds. Oh, so I, I actually played a show the same day that Rollins Van and X played in Jersey. Yeah, played where a different you, show. Where do you file Violent Minds? Also, while we're on the topic, they're Canadian. <laughs> yeah, that's honestly they were in my international section for a long time, and then I was like, I guess I have to move them to America. Too. Only the second records in your international section; everything else is in. The- well, actually, I was going to say J.K. kept them in Canada because uh, those records were written in Canada, and at the time uh, he was well on his way, Zach, to becoming a Canadian citizen. So, ah, you know, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, you know, it could have been Canada, and I guess the LPs I have to file in America. Yeah, I, I, Canada because of. Uh, just because I keep hoping that I'll one day get a radio show on commercial radio for some reason, I keep all my Canadian records or anything that's somehow Canadian centric in case of CanCon laws in the Canada section. So, you, you like, Canadian. like if if they come to your house and you're like, okay, let's see your records. I know. I also like. like I also <laughs> no. I mean, like, I want to get a DJ job on a radio station, and I keep kind of imagining that it's like in the '90s where there would still be record players there. Like so, I could would have to bring in seven inches to play seven inches on air. <laughs> Forgetting, of There'll course, there'll be record players. There will. I can confirm that there are still record players at uh, one of the big ones. I one can of the confirm big dog that there was not when I because I tried to play a seven inch when a uh, mutual friend of the show Wade 
at his show, I brought in the CFMY 7-inch to play on CFMY, and he's like, oh, we don't have a turntable where you can play. They did when I went. I was in the studio. They had one. Yeah, but it did it play? To the to the oh that I don't know I don't, it, if it was just for looks I just assumed it worked yeah I don't know if it did because I the, I we tried I was trying to get we we tried to figure out a way to play the seven inch and they couldn't do it oh okay you, maybe you got me anyway um, have you I ever played records on my my college radio station but that was not a uh, a major radio station not a, a national it didn't go even like to my house. Yeah, I guess college radio. Yeah, there are definitely still booths, and I haven't been to a college radio station in a sec, but there's 100 percent still booths there and turntables. Like it's it hasn't gone all automated yet. Yeah, right, Dave. Yeah, but you're not you're not inaccurate in saying that the big ones are mainly you know all computer based, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. Definitely. You know, like I I I know very little about um, real radio, um, so. I just assume that all college stations still have turntables. Yeah, what did, you know? I, would, I would assume they did. I would. I mean, know. I have no idea, like about you know, even like WNYC or something. You know, so I, who knows? Probably not, but but maybe. You know. Um, so. I guess I might have to start filing these records where they actually belong, then instead of in my CanCon section. And for people that don't know what can Canadian content laws are in canada on the radio we have to play is it 30 percent canadian music i think it's 30 yeah in a pre-drake world that was very hard for stations to do in a post vinyl minds is definitely 30 percent canadian absolutely it was no no it's it's of what you play though it's the, yeah, I know, I know. restrictions that's why yeah good, good. but <laughs> there's four you'd ask me it has to be made produced the record label or written in Canada. Like it has to have three of yep. those four. It's called Naples. Yeah. Jacket made in Canada doesn't count, does it? No, unfortunately not. <laughs> yeah. And tragedy was only 25% Canadian. I know. So they wouldn't fit. They wouldn't fit. That's why I didn't move them to Canada. I couldn't <laughs> even fake it on that one. Yeah. It's in the American section. Um, though, uh, if they ever did a record on deranged, I could have an argument there. It's almost 50% at that point. Ah, uh, but didn't well, you know, the, all their records were on Tragedy Records, I know. and that's kind of also the same thing. I know. They weren't on Great American Stake Religion. Nope, they were not. Great American Stake Religion got swallowed up by a larger American corporation called Tragedy Records. Yeah. <laughs> Came in and fucked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Not a lot of things on that on that on that label. Uh no. But, <laughs> no. But they do all right from what I hear. Yeah, yeah. That's got to be. You always got to go on. Yeah, it was gonna say. There's always it's always fun when like labels that are clearly like the like the van like the imprint of the band then has things that aren't the band on the label. Yeah. Well, uh, I gotta say with Tragedy Records, they that's gonna be one of the few labels that's batting a thousand where every single record they put out, oh, like I mean from punk rock, is is a massive success. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at uh at, at, at the tragedy records uh yep all 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 pretty good and uh, yep. none of these are real uh there's weird versions of stuff I don't think I've ever seen um, there's colored vinyl shit like that's the thing about tragedy it's like record nerd stuff right so they always do like weird variants and limited versions of stuff right like that first seven inch has like a silk screen sleeve version um. Well, the the picture is just what's what's weird. 
Because I had it on green, but then if you look at there, like the image of the can we call this life is like some weird blue red. I'm like, what's this? That's the silkscreen version that they did, like the record nerd version, where like you could trade it from people in tragedy. Uh, let me just the, there's a uh, fourteen that, that have the it. The only way you could get it was to trade a member <laughs> of tragedy for it. That's some that's some gourd shit. Yeah. Um, there's there's fourteen that have it and hundred and seventy that want it. Ooh. I don't think I even knew this existed. Given the rules of the show for that metric, that's a rough one for anybody that wants that record. Yeah, geez. Click on the people that have it. I'm I'm not shown, but Bickle's one of them. <laughs> There's like <laughs> you can see uh, who got the copies from the 14 people that have it. So what what um, what record is this of theirs? The, can we call this live seven inch? Yeah. Oh, the okay. Yeah, I definitely don't have that. I was thinking maybe I have that, but no, I definitely do not. Um, they they have a regular. Yeah, their band is fucking amazing. Like I, I'm like looking at this stuff. This is a band that I'm going to listen to more. While you're listening to Rollins' band, I'm going to be listening to Tragedy because <laughs> I, I listened to to Vengeance earlier this week or last week. Yeah, good record. I think also self titled. Like what a fucking amazing album yeah. that is too. First seven inch, first two are unreal. I, I got shout out though their newest one last year. Fury is quite good. Yeah. The thing is, like, and if you throw on nerve damage, it's better than you think it is. No, I disagree with you there wholeheartedly. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't heard it in a while, but I I sold it. Because I I was kind of like blase on nerve damage, kind of like uh, darker days ahead. But like, honestly, like I went back to nerve damage like within the last few months. Because of liking Fury so much, yeah. Um, nerve damage is good, and but I listened to I listened to Vengeance last week. I'll 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 as as a favor to you, Dave. I will revisit Nerve Damage to reassess because uh, yeah. I just remember being disappointed when it came out. All due respect, it's still an excellent record comparatively to anybody else. But but it, it but it it literally came out twelve years ago, thirteen years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know the month, so I don't want to say exactly. Uh, you know, if with this twelve or thirteen, but it came out and, in two thousand six. Yeah, and four years after Vengeance, which in punk time is crazy. Yeah, and there was only a couple split, well, a split and like a the to the dog right? seven inch. Yeah, exactly. So not so it's you know it's fair. They, they're all their records are excellent. My you know my uh, my dickish elitist opinion here is not to be uh, throwing shade. I just I love the first two so much. I think it was hard for me to digest that one. No, I agree. Them live the first time I saw them, like uh, 2000, 2000 era, was and still is one of the best, wildest shows I've ever been to. But their set was one of the best sets I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, I saw them in 2000, and I actually considered quitting music. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even like yeah. throwing, like kidding. I'm like, well, what am I, what am I doing? I'm just going through the motions here. Yeah, no one like yeah, I saw, it was so good. Yeah. Like it was like you're I like I totally get what you're saying because it was just like, well, no one's gonna do this. No one could ever be on this level. Like Amy and I were just talking about this because we listened to Vengeance last week. Um <laughs> and uh but uh <clears throat> I remember the first time I heard the tragedy LP, the first one, was on 
I don't want to say it was on tour because I think we were just playing Chicago and Minneapolis, but we were we were out of town, and uh, we I feel like they put it on because like we like it came out while we were out, so I didn't get it yet. And I want to say we were just like at this house uh, in Chicago, and the dude put it on. I think we all just sat there in silence and listened to the whole thing, like it didn't talk, and we're just like which doesn't happen with. If you're in a band with like me and Andy Scarpula, um, <laughs> it was it was like we just sat there in silence listening to the, the whole record. I, we might have just listened to it twice, and then you know, and then I saw him in Philly a little bit after that when they first time they played the East Coast, and it was just like I'll, I'll just, I should just stop doing bands like this. Is... <laughs> and I saw him too. Was gone like I don't know, maybe five times. I saw him a handful. Yeah, and. Yeah. And it was it was like tr- tragedy was like like head and shoulders like just crushing compared to his heroes gone. Yeah, I feel the exact same way because like I saw tragedy a lot too, and it, no, not tragedy. Sorry, I saw heroes heroes gone not a lot, but I've seen them three times I guess by that point. And I always thought they were great, but nothing like the first time I saw tragedy. Like it was just oh wow, like this is different. Like this is you know what everyone told me. I was going to feel like after seeing his heroes gone. Yeah. I mean, as saw as he was gone, I don't know how many times, like, yeah. I mean, I think five is fair. If I saw them seven or four, no one's going to like jump down my throat. Um, and I saw death threat a bunch. Like I also like they were banned for a while, but like I'd, I had seen death threat and tragedy before, or, uh, and his heroes gone before I saw tragedy. But you know, I never saw Cop Out, so maybe you know that maybe that's why it's all it's all different. Cop Out did play Toronto too. Yeah, I think they. I mean they they played New Jersey, I believe. Yeah, I didn't see him. I believe Chris Kelly booked a Cop Out show. Yeah, no, they played. They definitely played here, and you you still find copies of that single around Toronto, like once in a blue moon, but it does show up. <laughs> What I'm curious about here is, has Mr. Martin ever seen or heard a tragedy record? Um, I'm pretty sure I've heard one. I've, I certainly have never seen them. You, do you remember what record you heard? No, I don't. I think you would dig. I think you'd dig the first yeah. two for sure. Yeah. Take I'll, LPs. I'll, I'll investigate. Yeah, it's it's solid. They're, yeah, it, it rages. It yeah. rages. Uh, we've been talking for a while, and I did want to get to this at some point, unless you guys want to talk more about tragedy. No, I, I mean, I could do it if you want. Okay, well, I could do, I could do it too. And maybe one day we'll do like, I'd love to do, in the new format of the show, an episode where we just talk about Memphis, and all the music out of Memphis, and all the disparate scenes that have kind of emerged from that city in the punk realm. Like, obviously, it, it's a very important city for music in general, but... Just punk wise, I think like, you know, you think about that cop out, it uh, tr- like what was it? Face down was the other band. Face down, yeah. Uh, that little that scene, and you think of like the the Goner record stuff, and you think about you know even Julian Baker, like you know, and and the stuff that she kind of came out of, and it all kind of existing at one time with all this other stuff and overlapping, and and I don't know, it just. To me, it's fascinating, so we should get into that in a future episode. But I did want to get into kind of just like a general conversation about the first four years of this thing, basically. The first 199 episodes. And uh, 
just kind of like uh, a closing a book on it. We're going to close the uh, the book on the first half and start getting more part twos coming and things like that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys want to talk about it in the first 199 episodes? Do you gentlemen want to take it? One of you? Uh, I mean, that's that's a that's an extremely broad thing to say. What would you like to do? <laughs> of these two hundred things, uh, what should yeah. we talk about? Uh, MVP. Uh, okay, well, I, I, can... I have I have a thought. Go I go first. I think your first episode of this podcast ever, not footnotes, meaning meaning the regular. You're talking footnotes, though, or the regular turn it a punk? Regular turn it a punk. Footnotes, though, okay. we are at, I think we're like well over 100 at this point. Yeah, yeah, way too many. Uh, but uh, first episode ever is Martin Mills. And to me, that was you throwing down a challenge to all the other podcasters. And uh, it set the tone. And I think if I'm if I'm thinking of number ones of, of things, I think that's an excellent number one and for any listeners that haven't heard it go back it's great and it's short too uh well worth the listen of course but yeah that was my first thing i remember you told me you're gonna do this and then you finally did it and i was just blown away by your choice of off the top of who to get and uh i'm still kind of blown away you got him anyway that's my first thought I don't think I'd be able to get him again, so I'm really happy we did get him for the first episode. <laughs> I think that was very much like uh, – and there's been a couple times where, like, there have been people that it didn't happen with and then the situation changed and it could never happen with. And, you know, there's things that – you know, like, I, I forget how temporal a lot of this stuff is and these connections are. And, yeah, Martin, I was very lucky to get him for that kind of interview – in that kind of situation. I also interviewed him a second time live on stage for Canadian music week. Uh, I think it was actually at that same weekend. It was the same weekend and it was, it, that was a, I wish I had a tape of that. I would love to have that. Um, so I could put that out, but I don't even know who to begin to email to try and get that <laughs> or a part two hey. to happen. But I think also, you know, I kind of covered all the ground I needed to cover in that first episode with him. I and also I'm looking at the date here. That came out in 2014. That's five years old. That's nuts. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're in the fifth year of this thing, which is crazy. It was like it was after I got fired from much music. You know, I, I was like, okay, well, you know, all the shit I love doing at much music, I could do on my own, which is just punishing people that have these secret punk rock <laughs> pasts, and like that's that's why I wanted to do this. Like 100% Colt Cabana doing the art of wrestling and the way he was doing it with the wrestlers. And then, but you know, then also my friends Wei Ting and John Pollock doing their podcast and just hearing like kind of like a natural fun conversation vibe that they had going on. And then the best show, you know, like in, and all the stuff that John and Tom did together and do together. Uh, those were like the, the main inspirations, but you know, and, and just punishing people really wanting to just fucking brutally punish people in a way that's <laughs> not socially acceptable to do. Yeah. You know, like where else could I have, you know, any, you know, my friends on and just subject them to like a battery of questions. So I'm super deep in the, uh, in the audio boom 
website looking at because it's an easy way to scroll deep than doing it on my phone while yeah. being on my phone. Yeah. Uh, a thing from Turned Out a Punk that I bring up to people a lot that I think was super funny to go deep on episode 43. Um, when Scott Kelly talks about hearing neurosis places and not recognizing it as neurosis and being like, oh, this is cool. And then people giving him like, are you serious? This is, this is neurosis. Um, I think that's super funny. And I, I think about that like kind of a lot um, because I think that's bonkers to not recognize yourself. Um, and uh, especially if you're playing an instrument, like, like there's probably definitely fucked up songs. You probably don't know the words to, if you just like pulled them out of nowhere, cause you haven't thought about them in a long time, but if you like wrote the music, you should at least recognize that it's a song you wrote. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I like, that. I don't know. I wonder it's, and that's another band too. Like we were talking about tragedy earlier. That's like, to me, like if I was going to say like, who's the goat when it comes to underground music, I would say that band because I saw footage of them playing the other day in Japan. And I was like, fuck this band still rages, like still rages. Um, but yeah, Scott, Scott's the first guy to admit it. He doesn't remember huge, huge chunks of his life, <laughs> but his, his was a really good episode. And like, like that does not feel like that was now at this <laughs> point, very, very long ago. <laughs> yeah. Like I had no idea it was going to be an episode, episode 43. Like not that I thought, not like it seems recently, but it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Yeah. That was a wild – I remember that day because I went to that Fat Records festival that they had uh, that toured around. And I went and saw the Swingin' Utters and uh, it was like a super emotional show experience. And I I was just there and I was kind of watching by myself too and it just hit me because, I don't know, it was a very emotional show experience to go through by yourself. And then uh, I had to kind of pull myself together and go interview Scott Kelly and of course the fucking air conditioner is going in the van. And <clears throat> as anyone that listens to this podcast knows, I am not an audio wizard by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's going to be a problem. And so I'm like, can we turn this off? And Scott's like, I don't think so. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so uh, we did it with that thing on. And thank God for Wei Tang coming through and being able to clean up the audio a little bit so it didn't sound like you were hearing us on a plane as much. <laughs> like, way, way save that episode. But, yeah, it was so, so amazing to get to do that. Like, that's that's why I want to do this thing is, like, you know, what other <laughs> – like, when would you ever be in a situation that would be socially acceptable to just punish Scott Kelly with all your questions? Like, it's just – I can't imagine – being backstage somewhere and being able to do that, like even, and we're friends, you know, but I just can't imagine, I don't know, that being cool to do, but thank God for this. He podcast. probably won't have his, like his Ian McKay, like Q and a tour, um, anytime soon. No, he doesn't seem like the type of guy that would want to do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Ian McKay, we got to get Ian on the show still eventually. Because, you know, as we've talked about many times, that's the greatest unrecorded Turned Out a Punk episode ever. <laughs> yeah. Chris, riding, yeah, Chris riding right beside me on that one. Yeah, but I feel like that's the constant, uh, I don't even want to say humble brag, it's just outright brag, I guess. No, it's the one that got away. Um, you know, it's like the one that got away, like the, 
You know, that and the Maddie Matheson episode are the are the ones that got away. <laughs> but the I think what it is is at least I the way that panned out is it wasn't something that had been um, like that was it was a spontaneous occurrence. It was not planned to happen in advance. So that's why it never was recorded. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it, it, but, you know, at the same time, it's also I'm glad it I'm di- glad it didn't get recorded because that way we can have one that got away. Or two that got away, I guess, in the case of the Maddie Matheson episode, which also got away and didn't get re-recorded yet. But, you know, <laughs> working on those, both of those for the next 200. I think yeah. you should interview both Maddie and Ian McKay at the same time. That would be an amazing interview. For Yeah, when's the next tour? Uh, next Fucked Up tour or Turn Out a Punk live tour? Turn Out a Punk live tour. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That was a very like I look back on those live episodes and I I love them. And that's I look back on that whole trip and I don't think I appreciated it at the time. And I think a lot of that has to do with having like an anxiety disorder and not just being able to live in the moment sometimes, but like that was like one of the greatest road trips of my life. Yeah, the only the only thing that didn't make it whole to the show for me was that uh Dave uh it up you you're now in Texas, so it's too bad that that didn't happen in another era where you were still in the New York area. Yeah. Because if we had both Daves at the New York show, we did have, of course, Mr. Martin, the king. But, uh, yeah, that was the only thing that I think, like, really the only minor box that didn't get checked off. Pretty much everything else did. It's great. Yeah. I, like, I regretted not flying out for that. But then I, then I told myself that there, when the West Coast tour happened that I would actually go, but then it never happened. I think we will do a West Coast tour at some point. Like, that's what I still really want to do that. But also, I think, you know, I can't, I, you know, live episodes, people don't like live episodes, and I get that in podcasts. But some of those live episodes on that tour are some of the best episodes. Like, the fucking Philadelphia episode, the lineup that just, you know, obviously <laughs> came together through a lot of people's help. But, my God, it's like, I couldn't imagine. I, like, I, I went back and looked at that lineup the other day, and I'm like, Holy, I have everyone basically I could want here, except for someone from FOD, of course, but next time. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, now the podcast is more popular, you could probably pull that kind of weight, but at that point. I, mean, I didn't have it. Yeah. I didn't have it. Yeah. I had to settle for uh, Dan and, and, and Andy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, both of those were amazing. I love that episode. And also, though, the live episode that we did together – Dave in in Texas mm-hmm. is my god one of my favorites. I should go back to that, but is that weird? I'm on it, but yeah, I've I've it's it that I, was a fun time. I love having that was great. Things. That's also the greatest. Is that the episode with the greatest revelation ever on this show? Uh, that Rancid's 2000 self title is the greatest punk record ever. Yeah, that yeah. was on that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Damn. I and I honestly, I just keep not following up on. Uh, we like you know just making sure that we do it, but I got to have Dave back on the show because he is. That was one of the funniest guests I've, that's ever been on here. He was. It was something. I you yeah. once a year you should have a mini segment. Just asking that same question. Is this still every year? <laughs> I I I think that was 
that whole thing, the the rancid story in that episode, like everything about it was just like this is that whole live episode was just so much fun to do. And then after us was the uh, what was it, the Air Sex Championships of the World? <laughs> yeah, there was. Yeah, we got out of there though. I don't remember what I went to yeah, go watch no. instead. But. <laughs> that was an amazing yeah. festival. Like I know it was a disaster in the sense that one of the stages sank into the mud. But <laughs> at the same time, I got to watch Youth of Today, and then I got to do a live turnout of punk with, you know, just like a bunch of friends. And it was a fun time. Yeah. Hey, Youth of Today was good. Uh, I, saw the dead, I saw the Dead Milkman as far as uh, key Philly hardcore bands. Turnstile. Uh, that's so sick. I'm jealous of that. I never saw yeah. the Dead Milkman. Turnstile. I saw him too. twice. Twice? Because Turnstile... Yeah, I, I saw Dead Milkman uh, at uh, uh, during a South by a few years, like before that, maybe like 2012. How many times did you see him, um, Dave? Martin, um, I'm, I don't think I ever saw them. I think I purposely was like, I'm not going to that show. Whoa! <laughs> Come on, Dave. No, I'm serious. You know, the uh, first yeah. album's. Pr- I like the first album. Yeah, I like. I, I might, like. Everything I don't up. know. I, I at the time I was super against it, um, and I've never really revisited it, um, so I have no idea. I, I I still like am scarred by you know the hits. Uh, just heard them too many times. <laughs> they were everywhere. You know. Yeah, yeah. I can get that. So, and also, it's like a Pittsburgh fair, Philly fair thing, right? Oh yeah, yeah. We hate that place, man. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's yeah. like it was like some uh crosstown beef. You're like, yo, cynics are the shit. Dead milkmen can suck it. <laughs> that, that sums it up. <laughs> um I uh no that that uh that um live tour in the West coast has to happen. So we can all kind of get together and do that. Cause I think that would be a super fun time. People have asked me, like people have been like, Oh, when are you going to do another live turn at a punk tour thing? And I'm like, I, we will, we will. It's just, my gosh, it's a, it's stressful as Chris, Chris can attest. It was a stressful and Dave Martin, you can attest too. I was, I was a stress case the whole time. A little yeah, bit, but you know, there's a lot to manage. I, I understand that as far as like, especially I think those four shows though, there was a lot, like a, a lot of guests, a lot of like, guests on, yeah. each, on each one. Right. Like I don't, I'm not to say we wouldn't, or you wouldn't do it the same way, but I think if you didn't have, like, I, I can't even remember everybody at each one, but there was a lot. I yeah. Think, there was like four guests a show or something like that. I think it was more like, I think in New York had more than that. If I remember correctly. Yeah. New yeah. York, sure. Five, six, maybe. Yeah, like even, yeah. I mean, it was great. Like, I really liked it. I enjoyed the experience too. It was excellent. But um, from a organizational standpoint and everything, I get it was yeah, it was a little stressful. Not so much for me in that respect. That was more Dame's ballpark because he has to sort of entertain everybody. But uh, yeah, I had the I, I was the uh, I was the driver and whatnot, so I had to deal with all that. But that was fine. You also had to deal with like driving all night in a snowstorm and all this kind of crazy shit. So it's true. Yeah, yeah. You had to. You had you had your own stresses on that thing. So I think like we'd want to do it again, but on the West Coast, it just seems a lot more uh, 
Oh, easier. And you'd like if put it to you this way: if and when it can ever happen, logistically, especially on the West Coast, I yeah, it's happening. It's happening. I, I have no. I love. I have so much love for that coast that uh, I will gladly go. And there'll be weed, so I will not be stressed out. <laughs> well, it depends yeah. on like if you're going to try to do like. I mean, I guess if you do Internet of Punk, you should try to do Pacific Northwest so we can like all hang out with Duff. But, yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, because he's in Seattle, right? He's not in California. No, he's he's. I, I think, think he splits his time. I think he's got like a couple places type thing. He did all right. Um, and I don't think that we burned him on the very beginning of the show with the Chinese democracy talk. I think you're still in his good graces. Well, and he and I are part of um, Danko Jones Black Coffee Brigade together. And we're both contributors to the Danko Jones book. So there's uh, your in. Let's you, you, you it's all, it's like the tour is happening now. And he is also <laughs> if, if if there were like a list of people that I I did forego all the social graces and did subject them to a battery of questions, um he is one of them. Like I when we did a tour with with the Duff McKagan band, I believe it was called, in Australia, like on this big festival tour that we did. I punished him. Like I saw his dressing room door open one day and I was like, well, I'm going to knock on this door, knock on the door. I'm like, Hey Duff. Uh, and he's like, Hey, yeah, how's it going? Come on in. I'm like, Hey, I want to talk to you about the farts and the fastbacks. And he, he looked like he saw a ghost. <laughs> he was <laughs> what? And I'm like, yeah, let's talk to you about the farts and the fastbacks, please. And he's like, yeah, sit down. What's, what do you want to know? And I just punished him. Punished him. There's also a day I you you want you go. There's a Danko Jones podcast where Duff and and myself and Danko sit down and talk together, and it's a really cool one. Like thank you forever to Danko for having me on for that with Duff McKagan and Chris Jericho was the other person he had me on with, and we just you know both had a great time just punishing both these guys with questions. Like Duff McKagan, I've I've read his books. Um, he has more than one. Honestly, he has two. Oh, I, read, yeah, I only read the first two. one. Um, the first one's really what you need to read, but the second one's like it's fine as well. Mm-hmm. And the second one's a lot more like these are. I feel like it's like basing on like articles he he like wrote for Playboy versus like this is his story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems extremely approachable. Yeah. Yeah. Like he seems like you could go up to him and as long as you weren't like a total psychopath that you <laughs> that you could like have a conversation with him that he would like also have back with you. Yeah, 100%. Like in it, I would say him there's like a few people that you meet, right, where you're just like, "Oh shit, this person's like come through it and come through it in a way where they still like you know have their psyche like in their their I don't know, they're just to, they don't they haven't been broken by the experience. And he's definitely one of those people like, yeah, very approachable in a way. I'm not, this is, you know, please give the person, this poor man his privacy. If you see him on the streets and things like that, but at the same time, if you're in a situation where it feels like you could have a conversation, he is one of the few people that I think, yeah, like in my experience, you know, I just, I went in there and just talked about the farts, you know, fuck anyone. Like if I saw Anyone else that was in Guns N' Roses, there's no chance that I would probably go up to him and be like, hey, let me take a picture with you. 
Cause like, even though it's, it'd be funny. Um, not even Buckethead. Not definitely not Buckethead. Um, not Matt Sorum, maybe Steven Adler. Um, <laughs> but not, I mean, it, 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 um, Izzy's probably just so, you know, just tackled by Juju Hound, uh, fans that, you know, he's probably really hard to, to get along with, but, uh, no, but he just seems like like legit. Like if, as long as you weren't, as I said, if you weren't like a total asshole, if you're like, hey man, just want to say hi. I mean, he seems like you'd just be fine with it. I remember that we were on the that same tour in Australia another time, and Slash was on it, and Ben from Fucked Up wanted to get a picture with him. And watching that process go down, it was like, yeah, no, he's a a much harder approach than than Duff. But Slash didn't go up to him. It's like, oh my god, are you the dude from No Warning? No, Slash. Like, oh, yeah. Slash, uh, I think you'd have to be. I don't know who you'd have to be to impress Slash, but there'd have to be mm-hmm. someone pretty impressive, I think, walking into that room. <laughs> uh, I will hold my tongue on that one. <laughs> okay. uh, let's, has, uh, has Slash approached you, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Well, okay, we did. I guess we should move on then. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but he's also. If I was going to have a list of people that haven't been on that I would love to have on, Duff McKagan is is certainly close to the top. Um, yeah, I feel like that. Josh Brolin did do something recently where he talked a lot about the old punk days, so I think he's moved down a little bit on my list of people that I want to have on. Rick Rubin's still right up there, though. What's how how hard is Rick Rubin to get? I don't I don't even know anyone that you know. I could probably you know I got there's maybe a couple of like leads I could follow to eventually get to him, but I don't really know anyone that knows him. Um, you must. That can't be true. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a yeah. I'm sure you do. Oh, no, I, I know I know people that know him, but I mean, like, I don't know if I know anyone that's, like, tight with him. Well, you know what? Hey, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you happen to be in Rick Rubin's inner circle, uh, let him know that there's a podcast that wants to talk to him about hoes. And, uh, and yeah, and just and that's what we really want to talk to him about. And Flipper. And, <laughs> and, and really, th- that's it. No, we, no, we want to talk to him about a lot of stuff. But, yeah, let him know that we'd like to talk to him. And like Michael Lago, Michael Lago knows. Yeah. A lot of people that I, I'm sure he would be the, uh, you know, the one person that I could call the, I just feel weird always reaching out to other people to ask them if they can get so-and-so in touch with me to be on the show. You know, yeah. it, it feels like, I don't know. I like it to happen kind of, cause there's tons of time people are like, Oh, why haven't you had this person on? Why haven't you had that person on? And it's like, well, it just hasn't happened organically. You know, it just hasn't, you know, been a situation where, you know, they've been like, oh, let's do this thing, or I've met them, or, you know, like a publicist has reached out. So I kind of want, you know, which doesn't seem like it's that organic, but it's kind of organic when it happens that way. Um, and like, you know, I don't plan on stopping this thing ever. Like, I, I mm-hmm. love doing this thing. It's fun as shit. Like, it, it really is like a labor of love and, and, uh, yeah, like I like so I don't really think there's any rush to try and get people on. Like, well, I guess you know time can run out. There's been a couple people that I wanted to have on that have passed away actually. So, um, yeah, like it, I guess that's the only real unfortunate 
uh, enemy of the show that we have to deal with. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and Skype issues, of course, too. Is the enemy of the yeah, show. I mean, but I don't think you've had like a, a real technical uh, difficulty episode in, in quite a while. Uh, a lot of them are, are because I'm editing uh, like a thousand times, like editing out all the digital delays and flubs. Like if you listen to a footnotes episode where I don't do it, you hear a lot more of them. Uh, <laughs> and it's just because like that's just the technology. But like with with uh, with with turned out of punk episodes when I'm going through editing it and making notes, I will edit all those things out. And there's some times where there's like I'll look back on it afterwards. I'm like. Oh my God, there's like literally 150 edit points where I've gone in and, and cut it to try and fix it a little bit. Well, yeah. But that's the the, un, the unseen part. The unseen. Letting people behind the curtain. That's what this is about, footnotes, right? Letting people in to the other side, the nerdier side. You know? <laughs> Break out your Dungeons and Dragons dice. This is going to go all night. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, but yeah, like, is there any other points we've talked for a long time? So I think we could, we could call it here. And of course we were going to come back and, and talk in future days. So we don't have to get to everything and anything. Um, well, um, and this is maybe a bit of a bummer, but do we want to talk about, um, that news from earlier today? Yeah, I guess uh, we should, I think we should talk about that. And also, um, we're, we're kind of unfortunately in, the midst of a few people that have passed on, but yeah, we certainly should talk about this, the passing of Skip Groff. Is that, and that's how you pronounce the last name? I've always wondered. Yes. Okay. Um, Skip Groff passed away, who of course, uh, owned yesterday and today records, a key, key record store in, uh, I guess the DC area, but like a key record store in the history of music and also a producer of, and I didn't know this till today, and I went back and looked through his kind of discogs. Uh, but like he he did the Pentagram first single in '72, but he produced a lot of the early Discord records, and uh, yeah, someone that helped shape certainly the direction of the recorded output of punk rock in a major way, and and a key figure in the DC scene and Discord scene. And um, but yeah, did you ever meet him, uh, Dave Martin? I mean. I, you know, I, I bought records at his store and he was there and I think I might've spoken to him a bit, but not, I wouldn't call it a, you know, I, I don't feel like I met him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was in his presence, uh, you know, a handful of times and the store was amazing. It's like one of those stores where I have like real, like every so often you'll get like, just like these weird, like, why didn't I buy that record? Or, or like, oh my gosh, why didn't I look through the rest of the store, you know, like when we would go there, we were so focused on, on like discord records we didn't have and all this stuff that I, I feel like we probably just missed a ton of records, you know, mm -hmm. but it was, and, 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 you know, I never spent enough time to even make close to like a real dent in looking through the whole store. It was, you know, just tons and tons of records and a ton of 45s. Like it was, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, like he, like, you know, and you hear the stories about, well, the Bad Brains getting the Vile Tone single there, you know, like there's just like so much stuff where they were carrying records seemingly from all over the place. And because of that, like, because of them carrying the Empire record, for example, like 
it's amazing the sounds that were introduced to the those fertile minds that were in DC at the time and, and shaping kind of like the sound that would then ultimately shape the direction of a lot of alternative music and, and, and music in general. Yeah. And I mean, Ian really, you know, touched on it on that. Um, there's an Instagram post where he, he goes kind of deep, but you know, I don't, I don't think that those guys wouldn't have figured it out, but just that sort of like the way that, that he coached uh, Ian and Jeff, in you know in putting out those early discord records you know that sort of stuff is just it's just it takes so much of the mystery away you know when you're you know you're just like ah uh, how do you make a record and you know and he was like it's easy you just do this this and this you know and then they were like yeah that's all we do you know so you know it it went from being like you know something that seemed almost impossible and and proved impossible for people in scenes all over the all over the world. Mm-hmm. But you know, he he really made it possible. Um, and like I said, I mean, it's I, they probably would have figured out some way to do it without him. But he definitely, I think, accelerated things and made all the documentation that they did, you know, a lot easier. He's someone that would be an amazing person to have talked to. But like, you know, even that story about this, like, Bofo Sacco label, like, what was his involvement in that first Pentagram single? Like, what, you know, he's listed as producer and stuff like that. But, like, to be involved in that stuff. And then also, like, the fact that he just stops, you know, like, he, he Did does. he put it out or did he just produce it? He just produced like, it. Bofo Sacco has a single release, so I can't really, like go too big on what else they did. Well, I wonder what, like, his role as producer would have been other than, I uh, maybe, maybe he didn't fund it, but, like, he certainly would know who funded it and would know how that all worked. Yeah. Um, and also he did a, he produced a corpse record, the infamous Africa Corpse record. The one, I think the third LP, second LP. As well. Yeah. Um, he did, uh, yeah, like, it's, 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 but then he stops, like he just stops producing records at after a certain point. Yeah, I was looking at it, and that it does seem like there's a pretty good gap. Yeah, well, and then even when the gap's over, like with the exception of, um, well, I guess he does. Uh, he does something for the generations, uh, punk look at human rights compilation, but everything else seems to be just reissues that he's got after even 84, right? Like 84, oh no, 82. He does, um, some stuff for flex your head and that's the last stuff he produced. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't do the, the other generations comp. No, no, no. <laughs> he did do a velvet monkeys record that was only released on CDR in 2011. So wait, is which, which one? Uh, Everything is right. Yeah, isn't that the cassette? The reissue of the cassette? Maybe. What's his involvement in producing it? I'm looking through it now. It's produced by Don Fleming and him, but I don't know if he's listed on the tape credits. Yeah, I I don't have that. So oh, he is. He's listed know. on the tape credits. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I would imagine he just he like literally probably went in and helped them make it. You know. Yeah. Well, sorry, that was in '81 too. That thing's originally from back in the day. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, that's when they they were fully a DC band. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, and so he didn't do, yeah, nothing, nothing after, with the exception of that one song on this uh, Punk Look at Human Rights compilation, which is an incredible comp that we should definitely talk about. Have you ever seen this thing? No. Oh, gosh. Call it up on the resource, everyone. Get ready. It looks familiar when I see the cover. Yeah, it's... It's like, it was, uh, I guess it was a benefit compilation that raised money for, I'm trying to remember the charities it was actually specifically targeted at raising money for. Maybe it says here. Um, oh, but it's got, uh, it was, and it, I'm trying to remember who this Arc 21 was. Well, he, was. the only thing, he didn't do anything except that Bad Brain song that he probably produced quite a long time earlier. Is it just like when? What is that Bad Brain song on it? There, Don't bother me. Yeah, but like, when is it from? Is it from like an, a super old session? I guess. Like, what a weird compilation! It's got some like super old Bad Brains recording on it. It's got the Vandals doing Jilted John. It's got uh, you know John Doe's side project on it. It's got uh, a Green Day song on it. Pennywise doing Nervous Breakdown, classic. Uh, and that first band, which has uh, Rat Scabies and Johnny X in it and Joe Strummer. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Oh, Johnny X produced it. Also, DFL, another uh, footnote staple. <laughs> DFL yeah. is definitely a footnote staple. <laughs> what an amazing compilation. I got to get this thing. It's only on CD, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. yeah, I mean, I think he's just listed as a producer because um, he produced that Bad Brain song. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's what a weird compilation. I didn't realize that. I thought it was like a new production thing that he did. But he just stopped yeah, producing yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, like, maybe he felt that um, he had gotten things to the point where, uh, you know, wasn't needed. He also might have, you know, had other things to do. Yeah. Yeah. The store might have been keeping him busy. Yeah. No, no. And I, I just find it, you know, I always find it fascinating when people are able to walk away, you know, and just kind of be like, yeah, I'm done. I don't need to do any of this anymore. Yeah. I mean, he, he did some stuff that's going to be pretty hard to top in the, in the scheme of things. Yeah. No, you're right. But he just like, you know, he never felt the need to kind of, you know, didn't play. I guess, I guess Limp Records wasn't calling him to do more stuff at a certain point. Well, he ran Limp Records, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure it was him. Yeah. yeah. That's how I kept getting all those jobs, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, a, yeah, when they stopped doing stuff, it seems like he stopped doing stuff. Yeah, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pack up the label and I'm done. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of those early bands that he did records by had either been signed to other labels or broken up. Um, but, you know, like, um, uh, you know, the Raz or whatever, like they imploded. But then, you know, Tommy Keen got signed to a major label. Um, you know, the Slicky Boys kind of, you know. Uh, well, they had deals with other labels, but they also sort of slowed down as a band. Um, so there was a lot of those bands that just, you know, didn't really 
you know, that weren't really doing stuff. And then, you know, obviously when like the discord stuff came in, that was a whole different thing. And, you know, and while he was still very involved, it wasn't his label. And so, you know, I would imagine it, maybe it just ran its natural course. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely seems that way. Um, and, uh, yeah, really sad to see, read about the passing because someone who certainly affected all of our lives in a, in a very profound way through the work that he helped produce. Definitely. Um, and also, I guess the records are open in 77. So, you know, he did it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's also, uh, I don't like what a cool different scene DC seems than like, any other scene, like obviously there's record stores where people are lifers all over the world. But like the fact that like, here's this store that starts at the dawn of punk and is still here, right? Like the discord's a label that starts at the dawn of hardcore basically, or, you know, around then. And it's still here. Like, it's just like a, a place where it seems like institutions, like they've got monuments in the forms of buildings all over the place there. And it's like also in the forms of like record labels that they have. And, and, and record stores and culture that they have there, too. Yeah. Uh, no, I, go on, sorry. No, I was, yeah, I'm just, I, I, I agree. D, yeah, DC is weird for having some, I mean, it's just because of <clears throat> things like Discord that are just, like, still there. But I guess that said, it kind of came up that, like, um, like, you know, the address on the back of frat cars is still how you could get in touch with a big boy. So that's true. That's true. Uh, well, so that's, that's Texas is kind of like that too, though. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff sticks around there too. Yeah, it definitely awesome. does. Um, but then I guess we should also talk about the passing of Alex Brown as well, because I don't think we got a chance to talk about it. Chris, you and I last time that we spoke, uh, and yeah. another person that had a profound impact, uh, on, you know, on us through the work that they accomplished at a young age and then went on to have a whole other huge life in the arts world as well. But, um, yeah, um, Alex Brown, uh, passed away a few, couple weeks ago now. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I really went back and, and kind of went and listened to all the stuff that he played on, but it was all, it was more the graphic stuff that he did that just, I'm like, my gosh, this guy is one of the people that really set the aesthetic Kind of for oh for sure for so yeah like everything right <laughs> all the stuff with with schism fanzine was it was very like well put together in a, a cut and paste world mm-hmm. and, and, st- uh, and the yeah. stuff still looks good right like I was looking at the judge cover for the first judge seven inch and it's mm-hmm. like that thing still looks awesome like the side by side seven inch like these are yeah iconic. Yeah, like mm-hmm. like those are things that actually look, you know, it's not hardcore and punk rock. Like, it, and I think at times, you know, it can be this thing where it's either the greatest graphic design you've ever seen or the worst graphic design yeah. you've ever seen. <laughs> and he certainly was on the greatest side of things. And it was like not like, and it was simple without seeming like archaic. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like very clean stark imagery on so much stuff without like like i mean the side-by-side insert is like kind of busy but like 
so what? Like it does it wasn't gaudy. Um and, and the schism zine was put together really well and like a funny read also. Yeah, and he was like probably they, like they, like eighteen doing yeah. that too, right? Like that was his early stuff. But even then it's like as you say, it's busy, but it's like it's it's defined in the way it looks, right? Like to do that layout in the behind the photos in a cut and paste mm-hmm. world, it's like it was a lot easier just to throw the lyrics and the thanks list on a blank white sheet, like on the other side. Yeah. No, um, but yeah, he kid hard, you know, we lost a good one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and tragically very young too. Yeah. He really wasn't old. I, I mean, I prior, like I didn't know that he was actually respected in the art world prior to his passing. Like I knew like the hardcore stuff, but I, I don't think I was aware that he was like, still actively doing a lot of art that that people that aren't that aren't even like real hardcore people knew about him through that yeah like i i knew that he was you know respected in the arts world but i think that was only from like through like a punk kind of perspective but yeah like you said i didn't know it was to the level that he was unfortunately until he passed away and it was like oh wow he is you know, seems like someone that was a fixture in in New York of in a certain side of the art world. Yeah, yeah, I, it wasn't. I mean, you know, it, that said, like, I was never like I, the the people that were super into the youth crew, like, are their own like total nut of just like this is the like this little bit of hardcore we're gonna know every like nuance of. Yeah. Like I, I like that stuff, but it was never like my lane to be like, like, so me not knowing that much about like Alex Brown's like other things besides his music, it makes sense that I don't know that, but you know, it's not like I had a, a, a block against it. I just, yeah, I just didn't know. Yeah. Well, the youth crew thing is you're saying it's like, uh, it's like the reason that, you know, a, a record on revelation that there's 2000 copies of is selling for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars because it's a cult unto itself. Like misfits fans. Oh yeah. Um, like, yeah, it, it's a different type of record collector, the rev collector and the misfits collector. That being said, I collect both of those bands records myself, but I, I don't like, you know, it, it, it's, it would be very difficult to live in that world and, and only collect those records because there's a lot of people doing that. The only thing that I say that's positive about that is that there's such a finite number of them. But there's a lot you know? of some of them, right? Like the, um, Chain of Strength on Green, there's there's two thousand, right? But that record is a wh- how much does that thing go for now? Like oh, well over a hundred dollars. I don't know. I got it for like seven, but yeah, it's a uh, it's not anymore. No, um, definitely not seven dollar record. <laughs> Um, but like, no, but the thing is like of that, you know, like there's, if you were chain of strength, there's X amount of, there's technically two records and then you just have to get the variants. Whereas if you're like, I like international hardcore, you know, like you, you could do it all day, you know? So, I mean, sure. Like a Chung King is extremely expensive, but like. If you're like, well, once I have this, everything else is is cheap. You know, you could just, you know, sell your car and and get one. And then, you know, then it's gravy from here on out. You just have to get the the red and blue Youth Today records and a Chung King and then everything else is just jump change. Dude, not even like uh, 
uh, a silver sleeve um, chain of strength record? No, but but also, but compare that to if you were a misfit dude. There's way more. Like once again, well, misfits only... are possible too. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like misfits and chain of yes. and, and youth crew are like the two hardest. Dude, a chain of strength silver sleeve. The medium price is one thousand one hundred twenty-five dollars. Wow! Oops. And there's two hundred, right? Which is is rare, but like you know, I it, you know the pentagram single goes for less. That we were just talking about. The first. I mean, they were ten dollars at the show in 1989. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They knew they were worth money back then. Yeah, <laughs> a ten dollars seven inch back then, it would be like what? Are you fl- yeah, like, oh, a what? It was like the Kid Dynamite demo, you know, of their era. Um, yeah. That thing was like $5. How much um, does Kid Dynamite demo go for now? Uh, probably like $4. I don't know. Let's see. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a Chain of Strength on Green is $186 Canadian now. And there's 2000 Yeah. Well, let's see what the six songs with Jay singing. Uh, the the median is seventeen ninety nine. Well, that's still like not, not so. It's, it's only like three times in value from what it cost initially. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like your 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 investment in that chain of strength on silver. Like you might have complained back then, but it's like, dude, that was it was like Apple stock. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, once again, if you were into like I like the youth crew versus like I like international hardcore, like if you want to try to because I, I mean, I just like that you could literally like probably sit there with like a pad and write down all the records you want and then be done with it. Whereas if you were trying to do that with just like the 80s, you'll you'll go back to that pad for months because yeah. you're like, oh, yeah. And this. Oh, yeah. And this. Oh, like just Japanese hardcore just japanese yeah like to be like a but like but like if you were like just a burning spirits collector actually you probably have but i don't know like i'm trying to think of what label would send you on the same sort of like never-ending chase that revelation would send you on with variants and none of them really because like think about most of those records the japanese stuff you ultimately, if unless you're going like test press and regular press kind of shit, they didn't really do a lot of variants as far as yeah. I know. Um, I mean, with and even if you wanted to go into like Scandinavia, you could get real nitpicky about like labels themselves because <laughs> I think somewhere you might have like a blank labels versus like a hand drawn label kind of thing because I remember hearing this, so I don't know where you'd fact check this. That like getting labels printed in like Sweden was like just as expensive as like getting the records pressed. Okay, which is that's why, why they're so all many blank of those records. That's why so many of them are blank labeled because it was like for some reason like labels themselves were extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you really wanted to go crazy, you could try to like nitpick like having different labels or blank labels versus drawn labels, but like. There isn't like, oh, this one's pink. Oh, this one's really more of an orange than a pink, you know, like, and all that kind of like nuance the way like misfit collectors do and youth crew record collectors do. Yeah, but I think like, the- is this record white? Is it gray? Is it pink? Is it red with a dot? You know, like, yeah, all that shit. There is, there is some of that, but you're right. Like, it probably isn't 
you know. Well, I know. I think there were probably, I saw yesterday someone posted on, on Instagram four different versions of the first Blondie single that were pressed in Japan. So I imagine there's like, you know, weird pressing variations that, you know, matrix variations and things like, like isn't the Stalin trash? There's two versions of that, right? Maybe I never had, I never had trash. No, I never had it either. It's all, that's always been like a well over a thousand dollar record. I think it's slightly cheaper now, even. It was, I remember at one, once, this just seems like old men talking about shit, but I remember <laughs> at one point, so this that is. a, a record, a record late, like there was a, a kids, there was a, an era when I would just get catalogs in the mail. You'd, have to either write them a letter or call the weird phone number to be like, do you still have this thing from your catalog? Um, there was a guy that I used to buy records from in Japan and he had a trash that was like, I think the exact amount of my tax return that I was like, well, I, I just got this one lump sum of money. Do I just spend it all on one thing? Um, and I didn't do that, which I probably should have. Cause it was, I think it was still a deal, but do you know the other thing with Japanese records that you you get the more you get into it, you realize that they grade their records crazily. Oh yeah, and that like every record they're like, oh this one's shit, and it's like it basically in mint minus or nicer. Yeah, um, and I feel like the, the 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 copy of Trash was graded at like good, and I'm like I'm not gonna buy a four hundred dollar good record, and it was probably pristine, but you know. Well, you can get one on the resource right now that's autographed that has uh, <laughs> some stain, but no seam, seam, uh, sorry, seam splits, and uh, has some slight scratches apparently, but that's from a Japanese record dealer, and it's at seven hundred and seventy-one dollars Canadian or five hundred and eighty dollars American. Yeah. Um, so that uh, it ships from it ships from Japan, so it's probably perfect. Probably perfect. That's what I was going to say. Like my experience buying records there is that if you if you're less you know careful about condition, you will get some good deals, like some very good deals for some very rare records. You gotta love a VG plus thousand dollar record, though. That's the yeah. You know what I'm oh, was it? I think. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but there's someone who was talking about how, like, depending on the record and the genre and the country that it's from, it's like it de- it determines what the grading of that record is, right? Like a like a a Finnish crust punk VG is like a Japanese Burning Spirits hardcore near mint, yeah, because you know those records were partied on a lot of times. Oh yeah, all, all, and all those propaganda records, like with their wacky printing, um, the paper was they was shit. Yeah, I, I feel like every every old finished record I had was like in bad shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you see, if you look at pictures of old finished punks, they don't look like uh, scholarly. <laughs> I don't know. You don't. You, they don't look like their records were in bags. <laughs> yeah, they were only bagging were... things and putting them in sleeves. Yeah, and filing it away carefully. Um, no, I think they were filling those bags with glue. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a the, all those those. And then again, to go on to to particular types of collectors, in all of my sellings and dealings of records, 
the only two records that I got like either burned on or like a whole bunch of shit over were both Misfit records. Yeah, well, you know, what would it be? Different classic with, with total grading Nazis over things that like were totally fine. Yeah, that's the that's the uh, I don't know. It's just so weird how uh, certain bands get like a cult or certain labels get cult followings that just obsess over them. Like, uh, but but Revelation's got to be the biggest label in punk and hardcore for that. You know, you don't have victory collectors other than me, but and even then, I'm like not even that. You're crazy. still missing like the 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 most classic victory. Fuck, I know, baby. Is. Gopal on pink has has eluded me to, <laughs> to this day. He's not missing it. We're missing. Yeah, it. we're missing. Yeah. It. We need two copies. You have it, right? Yeah. There's <laughs> like you know, what's, what's that song in High Fidelity? It's like there's that song when he breaks up with his girlfriend. It's like Nina Simone times two. She's like, yeah, I wrote this song when I broke up with my boyfriend. When, when Chris and I break up footnotes, it's going to be Baby Gopal times two. Because we're going to each have to <laughs> go our separate ways with our own copies of Baby Gopal. It's a deep cut, high fidelity reference that I'm sure is cannabis inspired at this late hour. You should try to get a Baby Gopal person on, on Turn Out a Punk. I'd love to. I'd, t- I'd love to talk to the lead singer. She probably has some amazing stories from that time period. I would love that. Yeah, there's like that's the thing is like there's so many people. Like I look around my room every day, and I'm just like, oh fuck, how sick would it be to have that person on the podcast? I think my big goal this year, this next year, is to try and find a way to get someone from Japan on the podcast with a translator, um, translating the answers or something. Because uh, there's a lot of people that I would love to have on to talk about Japanese hardcore and punk, and of course, connecting it to wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, th- that's like I think it's almost too easy there. Oh, it is definitely. You have to. Burning Spirits is named after wrestling. Yeah. So, like, I I feel like that's not that's like some like that's an it's not like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon situation. Like, I feel like that's like yeah. Of course, you can get it back to wrestling. If this podcast hasn't proven has proven anything, I should say at this point, it proves that punk and wrestling are always connected, Dave. <laughs> yeah, but in Japan, I feel like it's like a. Of course, they're connected. I know. Well, I think it's like that everywhere, Dave. Mm. <laughs> you need to accept that. I'm God sure there's places not DC. Not in DC. You're right. Not in DC. Well, no, in DC, not in one house in in the suburbs <laughs> of DC, uh, where they're still resistant to this notion. But don't worry, I'll change them. I'll change them. There's an episode coming out soon that's going to blow you away with uh, I I force someone that's not a wrestling fan to talk about punk wrestling connection for a good 20 minutes of the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Just just forcefully convert them to being a pro wrestling fan on the air. It's like, yeah, it's a a tough listen, but uh, I think it's worth it. Well, I look forward to that. That'll be fun. Uh, well, <laughs> I think that's. Uh, should we get to anything else? Is there anything else anyone wants to get to, Dave Martin? Uh, I no, I, I'm. I, I think we're good. Oh, yeah. I got to say thank. Well, thank you all for joining us today. But specifically, thank. I mean, the listeners. But specifically, thank you, Dave and Dave, for coming back on the show. And please know. 
that anytime you want to come on here and talk, Chris and I would love to have you. Isn't that right, Chris? Yeah, totally. It would be funny if you were like, no, I don't want them to ever come back. <laughs> yeah. It would be just like an awkward hang-up situation after that. <laughs> um, episode 200 is coming next week. It will feature um, myself being interviewed by Jonah Falco about how I got into punk. It's got um, a very, very, very special guest from The Best Show, one of the greatest callers in the history of The Best Show, uh, makes a rare reappearance calling into this show to talk to me about punk. And uh, also Jack Black comes back on the show to wrap up some loose ends and get to the bottom of the whether or not he is the guy moshing in the picture of visual discrimination ever since we got the extra information here on Footnotes, right, Chris, about him being at a bad religion show, we think. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well. I take it. I mean, to if you're in himself. California, I think you're ultimately going to be at a religion show at some point in your life. Well, I take it to the man himself next week on episode 200. And I also take uh, a couple other uh, interesting questions that I've had hanging over my head since the last time he was on the show because, you know, I wanted to wrap those ones up. And let's face it, there's no way Jack's coming back for a whole other episode two, part two, you know. So I had him back to wrap it up in episode 200. Um, but that's it. So that's it until next week, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening. Go out there and make your own culture. Sign your organ donor cards. Thank you, Vans. Thank you, you. Uh, Chris, how do they reach us here at this podcast? You can reach us here at turned out punk footnotes at gmail.com. And is there anything you'd like to add, Chris? No, I'm good. All right. So uh, once again, um, sadly, rest in peace to Skip and rest in peace to Alex. And uh, thank you so much for your contributions to not just this culture, but culture in general. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone out there for listening. And we will see you next week. <laughs>